Now then, welcome to the Midlife Film Catch-Up, a podcast where we catch up on films that we've never seen before at this point in our lives, Midlife. I'm Sam Turner, and this is my peer, Chris Jenkins. Hello. Hello, welcome. Chris, do you want to, um, do you want to introduce yourself by um, just giving us one of your core values? Core values, it's nice to be nice. Um, uh, a day without laughter is a day wasted. These are all very bland, pretty inane bland, yeah. cliches. Um, mm. A core value of mine is if someone shows you what they are, believe them. What does that? What does that mean? I think it can be taken one or two ways. For for some people, it's. If someone shows you they're bad, then don't mm-hmm. keep giving them the benefit of the doubt and making excuses okay. for that. If someone reveals himself to be someone who breaks your balls, who overworks you, who doesn't show much compassion for you, believe them. Set your boundaries. Um, I think other people interpret it as the reverse believe people to be good before they show you otherwise like um claire's got a deep distrust of um my partner claire's got a deep distrust of richard osman but i think he seemed like a good guy i mean you know my stance uh i know that you you don't you don't have any patience with the format of house richard osman's house of games but i don't really know what you think about what do you think of richard osman I think I there was a period of two months where I texted you every day about my thoughts on Richard Osman at six <laughs> o'clock. That was mainly based on House of Games, wasn't it? I also said the words, when people look back on this period of TV in 30 years' time, they'll, they'll wonder why we ever let that person present a programme. Right, okay. I said that many times, and you've never told me that Claire felt that way. Have you told her what I feel? I don't think so, because I've always just interpreted that as a comment on specifically House of Games rather than Richard Osman's um, personality or skill as a presenter. He never... He thinks he's funny by proxy of being around comedians. Um... He's not generous because he never laughs at their jokes. He just goes, oh, yeah, 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 sort of thing. Or he does like a wry reply, retort. But there's there's no, like, joie de vivre. There's no spunk, you know. He's just... I've got nothing against him. He's not a bad person. But he's not thrilling, is he? Not. He's not. He's not electric. He's not... You know, each week we watch a film that is new to us, starting from the year we were born and running chronologically through to the present day. Before the recording, neither of us know what each other each other thinks of the film, and we arrive. I'm glad you're back to stumbling on that bit. (laughs) Um, And this week we're up to episode thirteen. Chris has been on annual leave. It's 1995, um, and I'll I'll tell you about the film shortly. But Chris, um, 
why don't you let us know how your holidays changed changed your uh, perspective? It changed my outlook on life. I went to Linguinant in Snowdonia, which is mm. about two hours from my house. So quite a quite a big journey. We went in a Mazda Bongo nineteen ninety five model, and it just it was a very sunny weekend. So it felt like being abroad. We were on this quite classy campsite, a very classy campsite, I'd say, surrounded by mountains, by a lake. It was, and it was like being in France or somewhere. And we drank beer and ate lots of meat. And I'm um, getting, I'm getting a word yeah. alpine. I'm getting a word decadence. Yeah, I'm getting a word special. Two words, special moments. Yeah, alpine decadent. Imagine. The the debauchery of ski chalets, but without the snow. Right. Okay. But with children around, so less debauched. Yeah, good. you know what I mean. Good. Good. Um, but I, I just want to say, now that I've been on annual leave, I I haven't had an appraisal yet from you. That's true. That's true. Well, um, we're twelve. You're 12 episodes in, I'm 13 episodes in. Um, I think maybe an appraisal should come after 25 episodes. That's your, um, what do you call it, your period of... um, Probation is over. Probation period is the first 25 episodes, yeah. So that's when you'll get your first appraisal. So I'm still on probation. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's only fair that I get an appraisal because that's the only way I can increase my salary band which at the moment is as you know is nothing well yeah that that'll come after 50 episodes if you pass that 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 appraisal okay we'll see what the metrics are like and stuff yeah we look at the metrics we look at your um your work rate your productivity um yeah sick days Annual, you took some annual leave, sick mm. days. I, I can't think that you've taken any sick days as, as no. of. A lot, um, a lot of the annual leave did get eaten up by you very early on in the process. Um, What do you mean? We recorded three episodes in advance from the start of this podcast and then you took two weeks off for a one-week holiday and then you took another week <laughs> off after that. Um, not at the same time later on work life balance right continental mm-hmm. yeah it's it's the kind of it's living live, living Danishly <laughs> yeah is that yours no I, th- I think there's a book called A Year of Living Danishly great I, I think I think there is I think that's right Liam will Liam will tell us because Liam always picks up on the one of our listeners a young man called Liam always picks up on the literary references in our in our podcast he does and and if i was on last week and you said have you read george saunders i would have said yes i got i think liam gave me a book of his called pastoralia which is a collection of funny short stories amazing yeah thanks liam a really good author thanks liam are we doing any icebreakers today Oh, that's for new. That's for new employees. So we're not doing two truths and a lie. 
have you have you have you, pre- have you prepared something? No. No, it, no it's, that's just for um, guest co-presenters, basically. But it's a way of getting to know each other, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and we, you know, we've we've known each other for ten, ten, eight years, ten years. Yeah. Okay. So we don't right. really need to. We don't really need to break the. Um, you know, it's fo- it's free flowing. We don't. We're very familiar with each other. We don't need to break the ice. Don't need to. Yeah. But do you, would you like, like to rate? Um, Joe's performance on a rating of uh, of a rating of your choosing, metric of Absolutely. your choosing. Absolutely. Joe said to me, he wanted to make me proud, and if not that, he didn't want to disappoint me. I would like to say, I'm not disappointed in you, Joe. In fact, I'm proud of you, Joe. If I die, Joe is the person I would like to take over and what in, in all aspects of your in all aspects of your life well take over from me in the podcast but also look after Griff my son right. okay take him in mm-hmm. uh, just take my place look after my legacy finish my projects look after my estate and are you basing this purely on the, the podcast that I recorded last week yeah yeah. Okay. And he's a I mean, drummer. He, he is a drummer. He's a he's a father of two. Right. Um, yeah, I know. I, I know. He's, uh, and I did meet the the day after the podcast. I actually met his father. Was he violent? Not not that evening. No, he was um, pretty pretty placid, which was a relief. Yeah, I had a write in with Joe this week after okay. I listened to, to the podcast, and we talked about. I said I like I enjoyed his examples of paternal violence. He didn't shy away from trauma, and you you both discussed acne and that. And I did get a genuine sense of trauma from that. But Joe Joe's great, and yeah, I'd like him to look after Griff and just you know if he has to move in to my house or anything, mm-hmm. live with Emma. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There might be a few. Ish difficult is there, I think. Just because he, you know, he's got his own. Well, firstly, he's he's got his own life and family in, in North Wales. So it's, it's not, not it's not it's like you know he filled in for you on a podcast last week, but that doesn't mean he can just fill in for you in any aspect of your life. I feel like he'd be there. I'm not doubting that it. You know it. In any duty, it'd, it'd excel. But um, I think you got to have ex- you got to measure your expectations. And yeah. we also have to measure our expectations when it comes to films. Um, as we're catching up on our films, we're up to nineteen ninety five. And last week, I chose the film Before Sunrise, which was uh, directed by Richard Linklater, written by Richard Linklater and Kim Crazer. Good. Um, and it stars Ethan Hawkes, Ethan Hawke, and Julie Delpy. Yeah.
Before Sunrise is the story of a young couple who meet on a train from Budapest, which is bound for Paris. Um, Ethan Hawke's character, Jesse, managed to persuade Julie Delpy's character, Celine, of course. Uh, Jesse persuades Celine to stay on a train with him. No, sorry, get off the train with him as he is flying to America, back to America the next morning. uh, And they spend the evening together walking around Vienna, talking, falling in love. That was a great prognosis, Sam. Is that what we're using? Prognosis? Um... Yeah, I don't know where I got the idea from. Just that's good. It just feels like a good, uh, good, a good, uh, good word. Okay, so this is. I've been thinking about this conversation a lot. Um, I only watched the film last night. Uh, I'm worried. I'm excited. Sick of Kevin Gaten's calling me. Is that Geordie Kev? Yeah, keeps phoning in. Mm-hmm. Has he listened to the podcast yet? He's listened to a few episodes, yeah. Oh. So, but this this um, <laughs> this comes to one of my key points about this film. So I spoke to that person, Kevin, who just rang me then at length. Not at length, but he was very, very excited at me watching um, Before Sunrise. And he does this a lot, builds up the film, builds up the right. film. And my expectations were... Sky high, I think. Before that conversation, I said to you, I think we're due a a, a massive film, a good film that we're going to enjoy. So he built it up. He built it up. I think think we're in quick thoughts territory now. Okay. Quick thoughts. Three words. Cringe town, population T-dog. That's four words. Was cringe town one word? Cringe town's one word, yeah. Mm. I never cringe if I'm alone. Were you with someone? Well, that's yeah, and that's a very perceptive um, remark, Chris. I I don't usually um, lean heavily on Claire to watch films with me, and this week I said that she should watch this film with me. So I think that maybe had a lot to do with the cringe factor. That's one of the worst experiences in life when you almost recommend a film to watch that you haven't seen before and you watch it with someone and it's a bad experience. Definitely, yeah. And everything's amplified, isn't it, in in that circumstance? Yeah. So you were cringing because I get the feeling Claire wasn't enjoying it. Well, I I didn't comment. She didn't comment until after the film had finished, but... um... We both agreed that it was, it was cringe, cringerama. Yeah, uh, cringing is interesting because I don't, I don't feel much embarrassment about things. Mm. Mm. And, and and when I think of you and Claire cringing, I feel like what experience of you both had in your lives that makes you cringe 
Um, is it about experience? It, I th- so this film is basically a, a document of two people, two young people, falling in love. They're they're um. It's all around like these philosophical conversations that they have with each other. They're showing off mm. to each other. Fair, fair enough. They're having a they're having a daft laugh in Vienna. Um. But it was that it was that kind of every time one of them opened their mouth, it was just gonna definitely be this super deep conversation and like a an opportunity for the writers to kind of give their deep thoughts on the, on on life and it's like and I didn't really take to the characters at all like like I'm I'm a Hawkhead I, I I like yeah. um I like Ethan Hawke straight away I didn't like this this character in this film yeah he wasn't the most likeable guy ever he was a young Ethan Hawkes and mm-hmm. he 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 and and he was over egging the pudding a little bit as an actor right yeah but also the character is a bit what was it that was annoying about him because I, I also felt he was a bit annoying um, it was very. It seemed very con- full of self confidence. I mean, maybe there's an element of this as well that we are touching forty in 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 forty. We're no longer that that um, young pup bounding about Europe, being full of uh, the joys of life, the excitement of the future that lays ahead of us. Yeah. Maybe there's maybe there's some jealousy there. Um, I, I mean, he was twenty-three years old in real life at that point. Mm. I think I think Judy Deffley was also twenty-three. Um, so they were young, I guess. They were young, and and I th- and I did think at one point if that was my twenty-three-year-old self on screen, mm. you'd be cringing a hell of a lot more. Well, I'd be cringing because it was me, but. I'd come across as much more of an over... I wasn't... I would be coming across as an overconfident idiot and saying much more stupid stuff than he said. So as 23-year-olds go, he wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I I actually went into really when I was 23. I've just realised. Oh, no, 22, I think I was. You went uh, into railing. Mm. So you had this experience? Uh, yeah. Did you meet a girl? No, but I, I had a similar experience in Romania to to this to this circumstance, but it was less romantic because the girl was very racist. Oh. And did you walk around all night with her? It was in like a um, a seaside party town in Romania. We weren't meant to be going there. We, it was myself, Ed Beamer, and Ashley Warrington. Um, we were in Bucharest, the Roma- yeah. the Romanian capital. Yeah. Um, and we weren't really, we weren't really what we weren't vibing off Bucharest. You know what I mean by vibing off? Yeah, avoiding the question a little bit. So, what happened with this racist girl? Well, so we so we we jumped on a bus, went to Vamaveke, 
um, we went to like these beach parties. We, then the three of us splintered, went our separate ways. Um, Ed, I think, went went back to try and um, chat on with the woman that ran the caravan site that we were staying in, or sort of campsite. Yeah. Um, I can't remember where Ash went. And um, I was hanging out with these um, Romanian people. And what happened? Was there a frisson? There was, sort of, um... there was frisson that didn't go beyond frisson. Um, right. It was mainly me trying to um, understand the Romanian condition. Was there, was there any kissing? No. Would you have kissed a racist? Good question. As a, what would I have been then? Twenty-four. I mean that. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. I would have done that that night. Yeah. 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 Not not proud to, not a proud boy to admit it. I mean, chances anyway. are, we've kissed racist people without even knowing they're racist. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the chances are, but it could have happened. Could have happened, yeah. Yeah, you don't, people don't always show the true colours, do they? But what I say is, if people show you what they are, believe them. Yeah, and, and by the yeah, good. And by the way, that wasn't a brag. That wasn't me saying, me saying we've kissed loads of people. I'm just saying um, it, it's just a thing that you can't really know in some situations unless you're in a, a relationship with them. Yeah, or you're at the KKK convention. Yeah, and you get lucky. Yeah, that, that, with a member that, of the member of the clan. That would be a bit more obvious. Yeah, it's gone a bit dark. This has gone a bit dark, hasn't it? Because um, this film isn't dark at all. There, there isn't any sort of. Um, there's no. Um, what's that? What's the word for it in a in a narrative when there's a little bit of ten- tension? Um, Drama. Drama. Conflict. Conflict, I think, was the word I was looking for. Yeah, it was purposefully a story without plot. We can say that, can't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched an interview with Richard Linklater this morning, and and he said we wanted to make a, a film that wasn't plot-driven. And he said in romance stories, you normally see them get together a big explosion of passion and then it and then the rest of the film is about the obstacles they encounter as they're together and he said he he just wanted to make a film that was that tiny in between stage where you in between meeting someone and i don't know like the first kiss or something mm-hmm. that just that little bit in between and so he did just want to do a story uh, a film that was just walking around talking he said that. Yeah. It wasn't plot driven. It was character driven character Sorry. driven and dialogue driven. But mostly dialogue, it wasn't it? Mostly pseudo philosophical, pseudo intellectual conversations. Which is admitted by Ethan Hawkes' character. He says I come up with a lot of pseudo intellectual BS. But um but the film was that and that work have you seen Dazed and Confused? Uh, a long time ago. I can't really remember a lot about it to be honest. So that was Richard Linklater's 
I think, previous film. And a lot of the pseudo-intellectual stuff that happens in that comes from the mouths of teenagers. So it's really funny. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and I love that film, in fact. Um, uh, but when you're watching it through the earnest prism mm. that this film had, it, it comes across differently, really. Yeah. I suppose with with the plot and the narrative, you're you're very conscious of the fact that this thing's going to happen where he's going to have to get his flight back to America and they're going to part at some point. And that, that, I suppose that drives the... That's the only sort of element of plot, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They've agreed that they'll stay up all night together. So, you know, you yeah, there's always a question of where will this mm-hmm. um, end. But I did feel that the drama of that was negated a bit by the fact that we know the sequels to this this film. Yeah, yeah. So we know it's part of a trilogy so that 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 lessens the stakes more, whereas if we were watching it in 1995 then you you would have a genuine more vested interest in where where's this going to go, how's it going to end. Yeah, but although it wasn't the most enjoyable film to watch it did make me want to watch the sequels. Yeah. 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 Because you're sort of, you're getting glimpses of who they are as people. There's not like a huge amount of like exposition in terms of their characters or who they are, the families that they come from. There's a little bit of that, but I think there's little hints at that and their values and their life philosophies. And it will be interesting to see what, how that, translates into their futures to, together or apart or whatever happens it's it's yeah. almost like it's almost like this is a like the, a the mo- only a moose a moose bush yeah yeah a, star- a, boy, a starter a starter for 10 because well, uh, boys i think i think boyhood is only one of the, one of the only few of the films that i've seen that richard linkler has directed and that's obviously a film of two halves filmed 10 years. Is that, is that right? 10 years between the two halves? I feel like it was three. Oh. No, no, it didn't go up to 30, did it? I feel like it was three. I feel like there were a few passings of time in that film. Oh, was it? Just, not just two passings of time. So it's, yeah, it's a, a similar sort of um, proposition, but you're only watching the like annoying phase of. I mean, and I, I think I would feel differently about this film if I was ten or fifteen years younger as well. Like I yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I feel like any sense of a story from this film will only come from watching the whole trilogy, because the story will be how they develop as people, how they navigate middle age, etc. Uh, that will be the the interesting stuff. So, yeah, I, I kind of do want to see the other two films because, like, Boyhood was really good. That was all... That was, like, the trilogy of these films condensed into one film hmm. where you get to see them age in real time. Um, not in real time, in real life. So I, I, I do want to see how they develop. Like, does their optimism fade? Does hmm. their... Because in Boyhood, Ethan Hawke's character was like uh, a bit of a renegade 
dad who was into music and he had a really cool like car and then and by the end of the film he gets like a steady job and settles down and Mm -hmm. he sells the car and he's still like a great guy but it was just really realistic in how his character changed yeah I'd, I'd struggle to kind of define his character in this film really I think like it seems that Celine Julie Delphi's character is a bit more of a romantic and he's a bit more of a realist was that the sort of yeah was that the dynamic that they were, they were going for do you think I've heard it said they were going for the dynamic of he was a romantic disguised as a cynic. Right, okay, nice, yeah. And she was presented as a romantic, but we don't know what's underneath. Yeah. Well, she said things about, like, disparaging things about feminism, about, was she the one who said that everything that we do in life is... We do it to be loved a bit more, which yes, is quite a yeah. kind of cynical, cynical worldview, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you agree I, with that? Everything we do in life is to be loved a little bit more. Mm. What have you done? What have you done today? And well, we can we can do it from that. I haven't done much for other people today. I've been a bit selfish because I spent all of yesterday looking after Griff because well, Emma was away Emma was away and now Emma's back so I've kind of like let her do the heavy lifting a little bit this morning while I've right. been researching this this film and stuff but you've been researching this film so you can be loved more by the by you by by me and uh and the listeners the listeners to, to this podcast yeah yeah, so Julie, Julie's got a point. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of, as we say, pseudo-intellectual conversations in this film, but mm-hmm. to its credit, that's what the film was about. And they, I'd say that, I'd say that eight out of ten, as a ratio, eighty percent of those intellectual conversations fell flat to, to me. Fell to flat my, in what? In, in what way? Sorry. What do you mean? Um, they fell flat, as in they didn't work in the in the way of uh, in a script or uh, with the relationship between the two people i'd say that they they didn't chime with me they didn't okay. open my eyes they didn't make me feel they didn't make me i'd say as a ratio 80% yeah. but then every now and again one would get through or they'd tell these kind of like anecdotal stories that kind of had like a more universal truth mm-hmm. that came across as a bit cheesy. But one, the one that did get through was, um, Julie Defley's Def Julie's character says, um, I believe if there's any kind of God, 
it wouldn't be in any of us, not you or me, but just this little space in between. If there's any kind of magic in this world, it must be in the attempt of understanding someone and sharing something. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. The the devil is in the detail. I'm not sure if she was saying that. Um, God is a DJ. Sort of. Sort of God is a DJ, isn't it? Because yeah. music is the space between us. Dancing, in, dancing in the moonlight. I just like that. I like that concept. I believe if there's any kind of God, it wouldn't be in any of us, but in the little space in between. I so like it's about that. Co- connection. Yeah. Yeah, I, do, I, I like that as well. Understanding, sharing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, what do you really get from life if you don't share with someone, if you don't connect with someone, if you don't connect with other people? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're just lost souls, you know? Do you feel like God was present on your holiday? Yes, it was. It was sunny. No, don't know if that really. It's not the same point, is it? It is God weather. Yeah, no, that's a different different way of looking at it. But it, this this is like a conversation that they'd have on um, before sunrise, isn't it? It's God weather. Yeah. Okay, well, so what's your um, yeah. quick thoughts? What's your overall? You haven't really. I feel like you're. You'll get splinters. You get splinters in your bum. What do you mean? Because you're uh, sitting on the sitting on the uh, sitting on the fence. Oh, is that yours? Just yeah, it's just something something that I say sometimes. Is it? You should put that in your tight five. <laughs> Or your closing, your closing, put that in your closing twenty. Or your middle ten, put that in the, put that in the middle ten. Is my stand up yeah. set? Yeah. Okay, I'll put it. I'll put it in my stand up set along with um, television aspect ratios and um, looking people in the eye when they're picking up uh, dog poo. Can you can you do your um, aspect ratios bit again? Well, I, I don't th- know. The thing about the aspect ratios thing, it's something that I, I thought it'd be a funny bit to do. Um, and I thought about it for years and years, but I don't think it really applies to modern TVs because it was DVD players or VHS players that never get the... You'd always have to sort of fiddle about with it to get the aspect the aspect ratio, right? It's, it's sort of observational, observational humour. Yeah, it's, that's, that, that, that's really strong. Mm. But a bit strong bit. Just a bit out of date now, that's the only thing. Don't let that hold you back. Just make sure you do it. Um alright, quick thoughts. By the way, are we doing session aims? I, I see there's quite a few changes to the format last week, I don't know. Are we doing session aims? Well some of the changes to the format were by nature of us having a guest presenter. Um so I don't know where session aims came from. Um Joe is a bit of a of a renegade. You'll have you'll have heard he's yeah. you know he was creating his own 
creating his own platform, basically. Yeah. My session aim is to be a bit more high energy. Today. Okay. Okay. You're doing well. Thanks. Um, and are we doing today's question? A question for today? That was another format yeah, change. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to. I'd like to bring that in. Yeah. So, what is today's question? We don't know yet. It comes up. It comes up. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. My quick thoughts in this film: uh, there was no running. There's no sound of running water, which I like. Mm-hmm. I don't like the sound of water being milk being poured on cereal in television adverts. I don't like the sound of someone weeing in a toilet. I don't mm-hmm. like the sound of a trickle of a waterfall in the background. A babbling yeah. brook. Mm-hmm. That wasn't in it. that wasn't in this film. Yeah. Quick thought. Go on. Well, it's not really. It's, these are really quick. The, the quick thoughts. I think is more of an over overarching impression of the film. That's how I understand it. Litter. Litter. What are your feelings on littering in this film? Littering? I don't, I don't think I noticed any littering. They get a bottle of wine and two wine glasses. Yeah. And then in and they drink it. And then in the closing shots of the film, you see the discarded wine, empty wine bottle and glasses in a in a in a park on a, on on the grass. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are there no are there no litter bins in Vienna? Romance has no cause to consider the environment, it seems. No. Um, what, what did you think yeah, well, to the well, did, um, did you... Vienna's answer to uh, Tony Chestnut, the people's poet? Is that the Lark Lane poet? Mm-hmm. As me and Emma watched that bit, we we had a discussion of the Lark Lane poet. Right. Tony Chestnut, the People's Poet, and mm-hmm. and the conversation went something along along the lines of, "That's the Lark Lane poet on film." <laughs> we were like, "Yeah, but less, but he's less annoying on film." And then me saying something like, "I think Craig went to his flat once, and it was full of expensive guitars, and I think he was he had quite a dr- he had a bit of a drug habit." The, oh, yeah. the Lark Lane poet and and he's a bit annoying isn't he and then Emma's response was I think he's done well for himself though like he used to be living on the streets and that's how he got out of it and I'm like yeah fair enough how did he get out of it by doing the poems going around oh, right. getting people to pay him yeah. so for listeners who are not familiar with South Liverpool culture Mm-hmm. Um, there was a poet in this film who got people to pay him a donation, and he would write a poem for them based on a word that they that they give. And Tony Chestnut, the Lark Lane poet, does the same thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I, was his name. Yeah, he, he arranges um, gigs a lot now, and he's got a he's got a band called um, Nevermind the Cramptons or something. Right. What's your thoughts on Tony Chestnut? The the Viennese Tony Chestnut. No, no, the Liverpool. Uh, well, he, he used to pop it. He did a lot of poppings where I used to work. Pop, popped into the office unannounced quite a lot. Into Bidolito. Yeah. 
Yeah. To just shoot the breeze. He's usually talking about the gigs that he, that he had coming up. I feel like you've got a lot to say on him, but you, you, you're just holding back because we're on a public forum. Um, that, uh, no, no, that's the... Uh, he, once did a, he once did a poem for my mate, um, Dave, Cockney Dave, David Wood, and mm. he um, described he described Dave as living in a cartoon, <laughs> a cartoon reality. Right, is that true? Um, maybe it was at the time. Yeah, he used to wear a dressing gown quite a lot. Um, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah, interesting character. Uh, to be honest, I probably prefer the Liverpool Tony Chestnut to the Viennese Tony Chestnut. I didn't, I didn't like that guy at all. Why? Why didn't you like him? Yeah, just more like corny, corny stuff, cheese. Cheeserama. I think you didn't like him because of his mannerisms and his his hipster affectations involving cigarettes and wearing a, a suit, an old suit. Yeah, he it, it, it was his buttons were very much, you know, he was he had a lot of undone buttons towards the top of his shirt, didn't he? You like to be buttoned up, don't you? Yeah, you think, well, it's you, just you think everyone should be buttoned. It's common courtesy. You think everyone should be buttoned up, unless you're wearing a t-shirt underneath. Yeah. Or what about those t-shirts that um, the it's got like a polo neck sticking through a jumper, but then if you turn it inside out, it's neither a polo shirt nor a jumper. It's just sewn on. Yeah, uh, dishonest. I think they're dishonest. dishonest. Yeah. You like to see people buttoned up. I think that's I think that sums you up. I mean, it's it, it's you know you you joke, but I think this film's worried me that I've lost all my sense of um, romance. I had that same worry. I had that really? same worry. Yeah, it made me it made me think a lot about who I was and what I was doing when I was twenty three, hmm. and like life is just so different now. Um, because obviously I'm in a, I'm in a loving relationship, but it's not with the same sense of romance that you get in those sorts of situations. Like where this film took place, it's more of a steady thing. You know, we have a child. Uh, there's a house. We have. I have a little day job going on uh, alongside some other things, and you know we're not the we're not the people we once were. Yeah, and it's not even just that. It's like the um, the sense of wonder at the world and life and kind of trying to figure out life and um, being excited by philosophizing about it. I, th- I don't think I have. I don't think I have that kind of in in me as much anymore either. Your inner child is is withered somewhat. I feel like I figured it out, figured it all out. Oh, you don't have that same. Um, what is it when you take magic mushrooms? The, the thing that comes back is or all or a w e the, the uh-huh. being switching off a certain part of your brain, which then enables you to experience or once again to not be able to understand everything around you 
to lose those signs and signifiers that you've learned and accumulated along the way as an adult and just being able to look at things with awe and not understand once again. Yeah, I'd like to do It's just incredibly, incredibly refreshing. Yeah, maybe I should do some some mushies. There was a song by a band called Yeti that was the um, solo project of the Libertines bassist John Hassel. Yeah. Called uh, Never Lose Your Sense of Wonder, the song was called. Yeah, maybe he'd watch this film. Yeah, maybe he did, yeah. Should we do takeaways? Yeah, let's do takeaways, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think I think that's my fair, in fact that's my first takeaway. That was a bit of a seg segue into um, takeaways. What? It was oh, what? sorry, seg segi segi segway sieg sieg. Okay. Um, sense of wonder. Can we recapture it? Do, is it is it an inevitability that we lose that with age? Yeah. Should should I go into railing again? Go into what again? Inter interrailing. So, have you done your takeaways? Uh, that's my first one, but you, you, you maybe venture one, and I'll th- think of another one. Uh, I'd say that the city of Vienna was was a character in this <laughs> film. <laughs> the city of Vienna was another was a character in this film. Would you say that? Well, intre- I've got a. I think this film did a good job of demonstrating how boring Vienna is as a city. So I've been to yeah. Vienna and I had a night very much like um, before sunrise in Vienna. But instead with a, of... With a Romanian? No, that was something else. But instead of um, it being the start of a relationship, it was very much the end of a relationship as on our interrailing trip. Um, there was four of us, myself... Jack, Tom, and Are you okay? Um, You're frozen. <laughs> What's going on? Hang on. Me, Jack, Tom, Tom, Tommy, Tommy T. Thomas, and Ash. Right. Tom, Tommy Marsden. No, no. So this is it. So Tom was very much part of our group, and then in Vienna, there was a big blow up between Jack and Tom. Tom yeah. felt that like everyone was ganging up on him and bullying him. Yeah. Yeah. So he 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 um they had a big argument while the the Vienna the editor of the Vienna Big Issue led us around the city and took us to some uh, cool parties. But it wasn't it wasn't that the way none of the parties were very good and he was just slagging off Vienna all the time. The editor or Jack? Uh the editor of the big issue Vienna. But you you but Nevertheless, Vienna was more exciting than was presented in this film. It wasn't presented as exciting in this film, was it? No, I'm saying it was. It wasn't exciting when I was there either. Oh right. I found so it difficult it was... to um, penetrate right. as a city. As a city. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it. It. I guess. You know, credit where credits due. They're not trying to portray. Vienna as a party city they're trying to just have a nice backdrop for these two characters to walk around and have romantic philosophical conversations yeah they they want they want some nice eye candy architecture Mm -hmm. and things like that don't they yeah and I suppose it's not as um it's not as cliche as doing it in 
Paris or somewhere, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so City was a character in this film. Have you got a takeaway? Um, takeaway number two. I didn't... I thought that Delpy's character was a little bit wishy-washy. Yeah. It wasn't nailed down that much. It wasn't fleshed out. I didn't really... I didn't like either... I've said this, but I didn't really like either the characters and I thought he was too full of himself and she was too taken by him. She didn't really really challenge each other very much, did they? No, no, you're right. I'd say as a romantic film, it kind of maybe didn't succeed on that level of feeling like it was a genuine romance that, you know, it was more just conversations, wasn't it? Hmm. You weren't really rooting for them. No, no. And spark is a word that is, I want to say there wasn't a spark, but I guess this the whole point of this film is exploring that spark or something infatuation reasons for getting with someone whether you want to stay with them Mm -hmm. so this film I'll present this takeaway as a question this film is it got like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes or something it was it's very well thought of Jordy Kev loves it Um, the the critics seem to go it's a cult film people love it um but we seem to be very, very, uh, the other way, very negative towards it. What do you think? I, I didn't dislike it, but I know where you're going with that question. And I think I've got an answer. Shoot. I think if you saw this back in the day, you would like it a lot more. A different time in our lives or a different time in Both. time? Both. If you saw it, Back when it came out, A, we'd be younger, we'd be less, um, as we were talking about before, we'd be less, um, what's the word, do writer. Uh, world, world weary. World weary. And the other thing, if I don't know what I was going for with the other thing, but that's the reason. Like, it, just on Ethan Hawke's, there's, um, have you seen the film Reality Bites? No. So, so when I was with Liam in Hong Kong, um, he lived in a separate building to me and all of his, all the people who lived in his building were obsessed with this film, Reality Bites, uh, directed by Ben Stiller. It's got Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke's, um, Garofalo, Thingy Garofalo, Janine. Mark. Mark Ruffalo. No, not Mark Ruffalo. Janine Garofalo. We talked uh-huh. about it before in a previous podcast. It's got all these... Uh, it, and it's a coming-of-age film, a romantic coming-of-age film. And Liam and all his flatmates and all the people who lived in that building absolutely loved it. Loved it, loved it. And they would talk about it all the time. And you didn't um, like it? Well, I didn't watch it properly. I'd seen bits of it. I didn't watch it properly till about a couple of years ago. And it is a really good film. Uh, I do like it. Um, but but they absolutely loved it. And they quoted from it all the time. 
So they watched uh, it at the time. While that, did that come out while you were in Hong Kong, or is, is that from an earlier? Maybe it was from mid nineties, maybe. Right. But they watched it in like maybe two thousand, two thousand and one. But what I'm saying is, there is a thing of when you watch a film when you're younger as a develop going from teenager to adult that you could just love a film and I, 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 can, I can see why people love Before Sunrise yeah I think and, I and probably maybe, maybe Geordie Kev's a big romantic I don't know yeah, him well no, enough there's no, there's no doubt about it there's no doubt about it um, I maybe feel that way about the film Almost Famous have you seen that film? yeah 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 I can see it good soundtrack yeah and any film that's where I'm trying to get to any film that's about youth Reality Bites Almost Famous Dazed and Confused Before Sunrise any film that captures that moment of youth or from Mm. transitioning from a a child to an adult or a teenager to an adult is going to have a place in people's hearts I think and I, I if you watch that, it at that time, especially if you watch, if you wa- yeah. especially especially if you watch it at that time, and I think what Richard Linklater does really well is he observes people of a young age group and puts them on screen really well, like he did with Boyhood, and to some extent with this film. Yeah, yeah, no, fair, fair enough. It, it, yeah, it's a it's a good observation of how two people would carry on at that age but that doesn't necessarily make it a comfortable watch no I think you and I would get a lot more from the sequels as they grow older mm. perhaps because yeah. it's closer to our age Is it, it, so there's quite a few years between the sequels I'm not sure the last one I think only came out about five or six years ago yeah so that'll be good yeah definitely yeah. want to watch the did you um, the sequels did you pick up on a link to an earlier film that we've watched as part of this project. Uh, yeah, this film. I've put, I've titled, I, I made a plan for today, and I put that under my trivia section. Do you want to tell people? So both um, Ethan Hawke's characters, character and um, Julie Del Delphi's character, Carapy, Del Delph's character, Delphi. Yeah, Delphi. we're watching. Oh, we're reading books on a train. Yeah, um, and Ethan Hawke was reading a book by Klaus Kinski entitled "All I Need Is Love." His Klaus autobiography. Kinski. Klaus Kinski was in the film Cobra Verde, and if you want to listen to our take on Cobra Verde, uh, guest with guest uh, Mike Jenkins, you can find that on episode ten of the Midlife Film Catch Up. Good plug, good plug. Yeah, that's the trivia done. I, I didn't finish my takeaways. I'll do them really quickly. Yeah. My second takeaway is I really liked all the shots at the end. Yeah, so so Hawk Hawks made a comment in the film saying that the problem the problem that he has is that everything that he experiences, he's a part of it. So if he's somewhere mm-hmm. if he's in a cinema theatre he's also there yeah it was um, expressed really well I, <laughs> I don't think you're doing it justice um, and then you saw the places that they went but they were vacant at the end wasn't of the film wasn't it something like isn't it a shame that we'll never get to experience things 
without us being there or something. Yeah. Because we're so annoying, just being with ourselves all the time. Yeah, there's. I suppose with like Hawk's character, maybe I'm being a little bit snide, snide on him, and he was, you know, he had a bit of self awareness and even a bit of self loathing, mm. didn't he? That he expressed. Yeah, yeah. And then my third takeaway is Judge Judy. Did you get this? Yeah. So. You saw the film on Amazon on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, I was watching the film on Amazon Prime. I think I'd pay, I paid three ninety nine for this one, so I'd, I bought it. Oh right, because so, that's fifty p more than renting it. And I'd watched the credits for about ten seconds max, mm. and then Judge Judy came on without yeah. even asking me. Yeah, and this has happened. With previous films we've watched as well. Judge Judy just come it's not called Judge Judy anymore, it's called Judy Justice. And it was about a dog, an episode. Yeah, um, he's, he's like this dog, dog this dog bit me. Are you gonna say sorry? Yeah, I'm sorry, my dog bit you. And just got straight into it. Just got straight into it and then anyway, I'm going off what I'm saying is what I don't need from watching a film is Judge Judy to come on and interrupt the flow of the credits. It's crazy. It's crazy because, you know, you want Why? to reflect you want to reflect a little bit on the film that you just watched. You don't want Judge yeah. Julie talking about dogs. And and it's just got nothing to do with film. Judge yeah, Judy. Yeah. It's got n- Why are they pushing that at the end of a film? It's got nothing to do with film. It's the worst. I think if if we if I get the option next to watch a film on Amazon Prime or YouTube. I might watch it on YouTube. Oh, yeah. As a as a sort of um, protest. Then, then instead of Judge Judy, you'll get all these Jordan Peterson videos going on afterwards. Yeah. Craig yeah. Craig does a really good impression of Jordan Peterson. I'd like to I'd like to hear that actually. Could you get we'll him get, to uh, record record one? We'll get him on. Well, he'll have, he'll have to be a guest sometime. That'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ratings, ratings. Shoots. Okay, I noticed you didn't do them last week. Well, I thought you covered it in your um, in your right. answer phone message. Okay, um, erotic rating. Starting with that. Yep, I'm gonna give it. Good. Um, I'm gonna give it. Set in Vienna. Set in Vienna, a romantic story between two young people. I'm going to give it three out of ten. Wow, that's very low, isn't it? Yeah. They have like a ten-minute dialogue about whether they're going to um, make love or not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm giving it, giving it three out of ten. If it was in a foreign language with subtitles, that would have been a, a five. There was a German um, argument at the beginning. Okay, I'll about, give it about alcoholism. I'll give it four out. I'll give it four out of ten. Um, about alcoholism. Yeah, I read that. Um, it's not because it's not uh, subtitled, is it? But apparently, translated, the man says that seventy uh, percent of married women are alcoholics, and then she right. said, "Oh, I'm, you drink as more much as much as an alcoholic," I, and then he says, "Well, I'd, I have to to because uh, I'm married to you." I'm, 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 I've heard enough. I'm taking it back down to three out of ten. 
Right, okay. A, that's in German. German's not an erotic language. I, um, I uh, disagree. Hard disagree with that. Why is that? Um, Sky channels. Because it, cause it features in, in the, a lot of, in the erotic, in, it features in a lot of eroticism. In the 90s, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are heavily involved in the eroticism industry. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, it's, a lot, it's very guttural, isn't it, German? It's very guttural, yeah. And I always say that guttural and erotic go hand in hand. Okay. <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, we didn't get... You and Joe very much got to discuss your erotic inner lives last week, and that, so that's passed me by, that episode. Mm. So I've I've missed my chance on that. Well, I feel like we're getting we're 1995 now. You'll be what 13, 14. So I think yeah. there'll be plenty more opportunity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my second rating is for what I call Rye Smile Factor. Good. Good. Yeah, I like it. Rye Smile Factor for this film. Zero. Mm. <laughs> wow. Zero. Zero. Right. I feel like I caught myself with a rice rice smile every now and again. No, you didn't. It's too too earnest for rice smiles. Is that what you're it's saying? Earn- this film is so earnest that there's no not even any any rice smiles. Too earnest for rice smiles. But when Linklater does earnest well, it's brilliant. You're emotionally connected to it. Okay. Um, but for this. Yeah, uh, and my th- other rating is quantity of motifs. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause so Joe sort of brought back the motif discussion. He did. Uh, I think because uh, I think we'd f- we'd forgotten about motifs, hadn't we? Yeah. So this is not out of ten. This is just me counting how many motifs are in the film. It's not so much right. a rating. It's more a motif count. Motif count. Motif count zero. No motifs. No motifs. Couldn't see any. No teeth. <laughs> no teeth. This film had no teeth, and it had no teeths. Um, all right, let's move on. Okay, so what would you do if you were the protagonist, one of the protagonists in this film? In this film, I noticed that they were on a tram at one point. Right. Um, yes, yeah, I think they were, yeah. They yeah. were on a tram for quite a long time. but So in terms of transport, they were on a tram, but then most of the film they're actually walking around on a pied, a pied, on foot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke was wearing... Leather jacket. Nope. Uh, baggy Converse. jeans. Uh, Converse, Con- yeah, yeah. Converse. Yeah. So, and I can't blame him when I was 20. When I was 18, I, I had a pair of Converse. I used to wear them. Um, I'd say I had a but- pair of Converse between... Uh, Steadily, constantly, from the age of 
17 to 26. I would be, I would agree with you there, except I switched train track. I jumped tracks from a parallel train track to Converse, which was um, Dunlop Green Flash. Right, okay. so you went from Green Flash to Converse. I I had a pair of Converse at age 18, mm-hmm. and then I probably would have worn them until I was 30 or later, but I switched train tracks to Dunlop Green Flash, which are still in that indie rock milieu, mm-hmm. but not Converse. Good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you look like you disagree on that one. Um, I, I can't really picture Green Flash in my mind. You you talked about uh, Dunlop Green Flash before, but I can't really... I don't know what it looked like. Maybe you should share a picture on our um, Instagram channel at, at Film Catch-Up. I will, I will. And I've got a really good memory to share about Green Flash as this podcast goes on. Um, but, good. But yeah, I'd say, you know... Converse, they're more New York rock, New York indie. I'd say the Dunlop Green Flash are a bit more West Coast, bit more British, um, sort of indie. Maybe so the the sort of trainer that um, the members of Jean would wear. Maybe, maybe Jean. I'm thinking. I'm thinking more Echo, like Echo Belly. I'm thinking more like the bands that are on Alcapop Records. Liam, please write in, tell me what genre of music a lot of that stuff is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, to go back to what I would do as a protagonist, if I'm walking around Vienna, much as I love Converse, I'd probably slip in something more comfortable, like Reebok pumps. Remember them? Where you used to pump the basketball up? On yeah, the yeah, yeah. They were the sort of... Um, Holy Grail. Yeah. So I'd put on a pair of Reebok pumps or Nike Air Max. I would even well, put on... Reebok pumps were sort of a laughing stock at the time, weren't they? But they've been like re- reappraised and now people love them. They weren't... When I was like 10 years old, they were like the coolest thing you could ever own. Ever. Right, okay. I, I remember it differently. So if I was in this film, I'd put on them or Adidas shell toes. Put on a pair of shell toes. Are they com- Yeah, okay. Yeah. Really, really comfortable. I used to have a pair of them as a teenager. Really comfortable. I'd put maybe... I went through a phase of DC skate shoes. I might put them on there really comfortable. Yeah, or some okay, comfortable, Adidas yeah. rod laver. Uh, that's a bit of a niche one. If you know it, you know it. Um, yeah, or no. at the moment, I've got a pair of Nike waffle. I'm not. I'm not loyal to Nike or Adidas. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're not partisan. I'm, I'm partisan. Like, I'm non secular. I love Adidas so much, so much. But when I put them on my foot, the shape is not quite right for my feet. So I, I kind of err uh, towards the. Nike running shoe, mm. um, to be honest. Uh, so that's what I'd do differently. What about you? Good, good. Um, what was Julie Delpy's character um, stu- studying? So she had to go back to Paris because she was studying. Um, but I'd, I'd certainly finish my 
finish my degree. Get a good degree. I mean, I mean, how how do you know she didn't finish it? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, okay, well, what I'd probably do is stay on a train. Yeah. And not hang out with Ethan Hawke. What would you do instead? Just, just go go back and and study. Yeah, hit the books. Hit the books. Um, I think you can get a jump start in this, in your summer summer months, and uh, you can really hit the ground running when you go into your final um, final semesters. Yeah, good, good, good shout there. Just be sensible. Mm-hmm. Okay then, so uh, 1995, how old were you in 1995, Chris? Uh, th- 13, I can't believe I'm 13. 13. It's crazy, isn't it? It's gone. It seems, it's weird how we seem to have gone from like little toddlers to um, teenagers at the wow. flick of a switch. Wow. Wow. So am I, am I starting? Um, yeah, you, yeah, you start, yeah. Have you got some specifics? This was a massive year. I don't know how I'm going to fit it all in, so I'm going to do. Well, I've got barely anything, so don't worry. But I'll try and do each one as quickly as possible because I don't want people to be bored. Um, Went on a school trip to Spain, so I'm still in Liverpool. School trip to Spain. Can't remember where we went. I think San Santander, the the place. The banker. Anson Deck. Are they? Are they the? Do they? Are they the? Are they the spokespeople for Santander? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're they're everything that's wrong with Britain. I think. Do you? Yeah. They're quite funny, though, aren't they? Cheeky. Have you seen a clip of? I can't remember if it's Ant or Deck, but have you seen the clip of them sitting in a congregation at the Royal... What Was it a wedding? Coronation, I think. Uh, I don't think I've seen a clip, no. Wow. Yeah. What, what happens? I, mean, I think drugs are involved, and that's what the clip implies as well. What, are they laughing? They're trying to put on a fake smile, but they look like they're, they're on a drug called cocaine. Right, okay. Yeah. It's the one that has the drug problems. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Okay. 1995. School trip to Spain. And so we were 13, but I feel like I w- in terms of development, I was more, I felt more like a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel thirteen in the least. We we weren't pubescent teenagers. We were we were, we were children, but despite that fact, in Spain we could just walk into off licenses and just buy alcohol. Wow. Okay. And this was happening on a school trip, was it? A a boy 
I don't. I'm going to say his name was some was Jason McAnally. I'm sorry to, to the real Jason McAnally if I'm getting you mixed up with someone else, but he drank a bottle of vodka and nearly died. Oh my god! When it's hospital, um, like he was like just like like kind of like comatose in a room, and then this was the room opposite mine. I didn't go in. And then all the kids were like coming into our room going to think we better go and tell someone. And they went down and told, they got when and got the teachers and this teacher spent all night with, in the shower, making Jason throw up and giving him water and coffee and stuff. And like, did and didn't basically didn't take him to hospital which in hindsight he should have done. But I felt like I felt like the teachers thought it was a failing on their part if mm-hmm. the kids had bought alcohol had somehow bought alcohol and they didn't want it to get out. So like and then the next day we were all like eating food. It was a really weird atmosphere all day. And we were all eating food in this canteen and then and then that boy, Jason McAnally, must have laughed at something or smiled, even though he would have been suffering from alcohol poisoning. Uh, um, and this that, that that teacher just stormed over to him and, like, screamed, like, you, you nearly died last night. What are you smiling about? And wow. everything just went totally silent. It was really intense. That's that happened. Uh, pretty harrowing. Did that um, cha- change your relationship to alcohol, do you think? Long term? I, I wasn't drinking at that stage and I probably wouldn't drink for another three or four years, three years. And, um, uh, yeah. But yeah, it was just bizarre. I bought a flick knife. <laughs> right, <laughs> so some pretty... Uh, pretty pretty weird adult school. activities going on. Pretty strange school trip. I really wanted to buy... An X Men VHS. You remember X Men the cartoon? Yeah, well, that's that's very different, isn't it? I really wanted to buy that, but I, but and I kept going into that shop, and the shop owner, this old guy, kept telling me like, it will be in Spanish, and it and it doesn't. Have, and I kept asking him, yeah, but we'll have English subtitles. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> no, but I still kept gravitating towards that shop and really wanted to buy it. I didn't buy it. I bought a flick knife, actually a butterfly knife. Brought it back to the UK. Uh, one day, I was at my dad's house and I had it out in my bedroom. And um, he came in and saw it and he went, "What's that?" And I went, "Oh, it's like a butterfly knife." And he said something like, "Oh, just, just be careful with it." So, and what were you? What were you planning to use it for? I think I just carried it around with me sometimes as a toy, but it was a real knife. Um, I don't. I think it was like not not sharpened. It was kind of like you could sharpen it if you want, but it was sold slightly blunt. But okay. Still, if you you could shove it directly into someone's body and it would kill them, but it wasn't like you could slice slice stuff with it. Hmm. Sorry, I'll would carry you peel on fruit, lot of... peel fruit with it or anything? You probably could, but not very well. Mm. 
so it was a bit of a weird school trip where loads of in that that kind of intense stuff happened and like there was like a just a contingent of the group who just kept wanting to buy alcohol and and buy cigarettes and stuff which i guess is kind of normal um but i still feel like we were all too young for that mm-hmm. i can imagine that as 16 year olds but not as 12 13 year olds and then i got back from spain and my grandpa picked me up in his car and drove me back to my house in crosby and in the car he said um your auntie dot and uncle frank have been robbed um and and then told me a bit about it and basically it was a really violent sustained home invasion bloody hell uh <laughs> where they were they were t- they were a man arrived at the door dressed as a policeman uncle frank opened the door it was like 7 p.m. at night or something the man hit him with a hammer. Uh, Auntie Dot was upstairs in the bath. They tied them both up. In the words of Uncle Frank, they held a knife to her throat and were asking where the money was. Apparently there was money in the house um, and they gave them the money, left them tied up and went away. And they had to get out of there. They had to escape from their binds and mm-hmm. call the police. And it was a, it was a really it, it was a really big deal for them. How were they afterwards? Um, when you think, when you saw them? Oh well, I couldn't really tell any difference. But you know, obviously, they'd gone through a really insane experience. Um, but I was so. All these details I've just told you, I, I found out over the years. Right, um, okay, yeah. To me di- yeah. Yeah, described to me differently as a kid. But um, So you probably maybe weren't looking out for how it had affected them, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no way. But um, it was a, a really... I guess I'm just telling it not because it affected me, but just because it's an interesting story and really weird. But... I think basically what happened was uh, I heard it said that maybe Uncle Frank was drunk one time and was bragging about his money or something and mm. might have been some the wrong people might have been bragging to the wrong people or someone overheard and then they got they got robbed but just the uh, the profession the professionalism and the violence of it, I think, is the most shocking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's like a it's a um, big fear of anyone's that I think, isn't it? A home a home invasion. It's yeah. something that is bound to affect you in a big way. Yeah, definitely. It, it like from from me describing it, then it sounds like a film. It sounds mm. cinematic. Yeah, that how how it how it all happened. Just the intensity, the intensity of it, but from all accounts, it was a horrific experience. So that that happened. Mm. So got the, this kind of weird school trip. Come home, that happens, and then that summer, we moved to Winchester. Oh right, was, okay. It's like a huge 
massive life change. So um, my mum was going out with my stepdad, Willis, um, a photographer who lived in Winchester, and uh, she sold her house, he sold his, and they bought a house in Winchester. We moved down there, and and then me and my brother went to school in Southampton, and it was just kind of idyllic, idyllic, really, like... Um, the garden of the house, there was a school field behind it. There was like a public footpath. You could go to all these, all this farmland and fields and stuff. And it was just like, and it was always like hot weather and stuff. And it was just a huge change. And it was really lovely. Not that we came from the mean streets by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but just moving from the north of England to the south of England is a big change. And and was it was there a big lead in to this, or did it happen quite suddenly? Going from, I, I think they'd been going out for a couple of years, so it wasn't sudden. I remember right. my mum coming into my room one night and said, "Would you? I want to know if you would." She was kind of asking, trying to gauge my support, and she was like we're thinking of moving down south would you like to do that or not and then i was just like yeah that'd be great and and uh we did that's a, that's uh i don't know is that an unusual reaction for for you know little kids usually wanting to stick around are they at that age not not yeah. wanting a big big change in their lives and yeah i guess i didn't think about it on any sort of deep level but and was your brother the same? Was he like excited by the move? Happy, happy about the move? I've never asked him, so do write in, Mike. Mm. I, 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 I imagine his response would be that he'd want to do. He would. I, I imagine his response would be he'd be a little bit more reluctant because he'd already had the upheaval of the divorce, which he remembers and experienced. Hmm. which already uprooted him from one house to another. So I imagine he'd be a bit more reluctant, but on the other hand, he'd want my mum to be happy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm not sure what, what his reaction was. Um, but yeah, it's just a big, it's just a big change. And it was positive in many, in many, many ways and really good and widened widen my perspective in some ways because mm-hmm. the more you experience moving different places I think it does that mm-hmm. um, but also you know obviously I have found myself in later life coming back to Liverpool so it's an interesting conundrum Was that do you think that was always the plan for you on some level that you wanted to get back to Liverpool? No it was never ever on the cards in my mind even in the back of my mind it was like always moving on, moving on. Because you'll see in later episodes that I move around a fair bit. Um, and, and you know, I, I yeah, I, I moved to some pretty far away places for some, you know, for, I, you know, I ended up in Mauritius and I thought I was going to get married there and live there permanently. So, yeah, I never imagined that I would, I would come back to Liverpool. Hmm. Because uh, yeah. I, I was wondering if it was uh, my friend Courtney Dave, who I mentioned before, he he was born and raised in West Kirby, 
Yeah. Uh, and he'd always longed to c- come back to uh, West Kirby. So he, went, he, he, he sort oh, of, wow. he's got a, like a Cockney accent. He grew up in Teddington. Yeah. But I think when he first moved down there, it was like people took the mick out of him for his, his Scouse accent. And then he came to university, same time as me. And his his plan was always to stick around these parts and, after and, that. And then did he get the mick taken out of him for having a Cockney accent once he moved back? Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, I completely relate to that. Mm. Um, I Obviously, my my accent is all over the shop now. I don't really have one, but but I definitely, when I moved, when me and my brother moved away from Liverpool, we had Liverpoolian accents. Mm. Uh, not so much a thick Scouse accent. Um, and that was, people often commented on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then you come back to Liverpool to see your family, your extended family, and they comment on you being a Southerner. So you can't win. You can't win. You can't, you can't win. win. But it, it makes you tougher, doesn't it? You had the knife, you had the accent. You're a tough, <laughs> you're a tough guy with, with, with street a, smarts. I couldn't ever say that. I was a tough guy with street smarts, but I did play up to the fact that I had a Liverpoolian accent when I got to the new school. Um, I did play up to that and started act- acting the class class clown a little bit. Sort of Ken Dodd, the Ken, Ken Dodd character. Ken Dodd, Dickie Mint sort of territory. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd bring I'd bring in a ventriloquist dummy at lunchtime and do a Dickie Mint routine. Yeah, no, well, Ken that's... Dodd, walk, walk around with tickle sticks and um, the like. It's it's the it's the age old story, isn't it, for a a child at a new school pretending to be Ken Dodd? Yeah, definitely. Book, te- book teeth. I gel my hair up. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I put on a slightly affected, high pitch voice. Mm. Yeah, talk about the Diddy Men. Sing Jambotti songs. Mines. Talk about the Jambotti Mines. Talk about Dicky Mint. Talk about. Um, do some of Ken Dodd's songs, Nick Nocky Nick Nack, Nicky Nocky Nick Nack, Nick Nacky Nick Nack, Nicky Nocky New. Do that one. Sing Just the good song. Stuff. Happiness. Um, what's the other one? Absent Friends. I'd sing Absent Friends to people by Ken Dodd. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's good stuff. Jane, shout out to Jane if you're listening for that one. Absent Friends. She's not an absent friend, she's someone I worked with at the the Liverpool Phil, okay, and we, and we both have experience of watching Ken Dodd multiple times, right? And okay, hear, and hearing the song "Absent Friends." And is she a listener? Is she listening to this? Uh... Yeah, she's she's a listener. Yeah, she's uh, Emma's, my partner's sister-in-law. Hi, Jane. Yeah. Um, just a couple of things for me for for nineteen ninety-five. Um, James Cu- James Cundall um, hurt his leg and was in a wheelchair for a lot of the year. We were in a school production of The Jolly Postman as one of three pigs. Um, So I had... You were were both playing just one pig. Yeah, Uh, there was three pigs. Yeah. And me, Jimmy, and I think Samantha Crowthall was the third pig. Jimmy, do do right in. Yeah. Um, So I had to wheel him around the stage dressed as pigs. Must have. I think the parents would have loved that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it adds um, a comic layer to it, doesn't it? Yeah, but it was it was pretty troublesome. He, he sort of jumped in a, a dike, 
and um, hurt his leg. Um, and I remember there's been talk of a bit of bone floating around his leg as well. Oh, in real life? What's it, what's it, you, you, That's what do you mean? That's not part of the Jolly Postman. Oh no no the, no! This was in real. This is how he how he got in a wheelchair. He jumped in a dike. Isn't a dike a, a a brick wall? A brick wall that is on a dam, or something stops water getting out. Um, what did he jump on? He jumped something. in like a thing, like a, in a field. There'll be a little a ditch. Ditch. Maybe it's a ditch, not so a dike. That, no, no. I think I think you're right. I think that's what they call it where you're from. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, Nordic is probably more Nordic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and the other so, thing, yeah, just really getting into um, rap, rap music at this point Where in times. Well, yeah. So, Gangsta, uh, Gangsters Paradise was number one this year. Yeah, and I remember going into the uh, local cost cutter shop and. Um, Michelle Northgraves was working behind the counter and they were talking about Coolio's um, appearance on Top of the Pops the night before. And Michelle yeah. Northgraves said, yes, actually, that's a very good example of gangster rap. And I was like, you you don't know what you're talking about. I've got Warren G's regular on CD back there. No, of course. Uh, cassette, cassette. Um, I sort of grabbed cool. I went from reggae, reggae music to um, to rap music at, at this point. Okay, well, this this is stop there. There's a lot a lot to unpack here. I'll, I'll ignore that reggae to rap last comment because that's a whole <laughs> other podcast. But um, you just called Warren G. Regulate uh, gangster rap, but you you've described that to me in the past as G funk. Oh, it's I mean it's G funk. It's it's uh, it's a blueprint for G funk, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what is G-Funk? G-Funk. Well, it's a G-Funk era. Funk's out with a gangster twist. Yeah. That's, so what, reg- so what, that's regular. So what is it? You, what can't is geek, you can't be any geek off the street. you got to be... Yeah. you got to be handy with the steel, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Any keep. Doesn't answer my question. So what... Another question is, what is Regulate actually about? Um, well, it was, a, it was a clear black night, a clear, clear white moon. Yeah. Warren G was on the street. He's trying to co- consume, construe. Yeah. Consume, I think. Consume. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, if you know what I know, you don't want to, you don't want to step to this. Yeah. Listeners, if you have any idea what the lyrics to Warren G's Regulate mean and what the song is about as a whole, then please write in. Because I have have listened to it since getting to know you and your love of G-Funk. And I still can't... I don't know if it's whether I lack the attention span to work out what the whole song means, but I can't kind of figure out what it's actually about. Um... I think it's about robbing stuff, isn't it? Robbing stuff and then picking up, picking yeah. up women. Yeah. Regularly. Okay. So it's not like a story-based song. It's just like a, a, an amalgamation of things that happen as well, a G-Funker. A, yeah. 
there's a story um they've got a car full of girls and it's going real swell yeah next stop is the east side motel i guess i'm just looking for like the traditional structure mm. the denouement conflict solution ending yeah, well, well chris I, th- I think you're looking in the wrong place if you're looking for, you know if yeah. you're looking at for that played out that played out shit shiz <laughs> you know what i'm saying i know what you're saying i know what you're saying um, so, it was all- you, so you so you were into g-funk at the age of 11 yeah i guess i guess so yeah yeah g-funk um the out here brothers was probably a little out- bit earlier yeah out no you're you're bang on the money that school trip to Spain everyone was listening to the rude version the rude the version of um, the whale let me hear you say whale boom 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 yeah, yeah, boom, boom. yeah. Uh, I love the out here brothers I love the basketball top um, aesthetic which Skeeler also uh, adopted um, for his hits uh, I wish I was I wish I wish I was a little bit taller I wish I was a baller is that G-Funk no, it's more. Is G is G Funk exclusively Warren G? No, I think I think there's a G Funk lineage. Um, so Warren G was the cousin of Dr. Dre. Right. Um, so I think Dre kind of fucked wait, with G Funk. Dr. Dre is not G Funk though, is it? I, th- I think you know the if you were to do a Venn diagram of G Funk. Um, Side note here: the the man who invented Venn diagrams was from Hull. Yeah. Um, Dre would definitely overlap into G Funk. I mean, it's a confusing area. Have you created any sort of database on G Funk? No, I, I think I think I was probably moving out of the database scene and moving into the into the G funk scene really at this point in this point in my life. Okay. It's interesting because as 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 I know, as Joe knows, as the listeners know, you have a bit of a is it a little peccadillo peccadillo of yours? You're quite into databases. Pecorino. Yeah, I do like databases. I'll always have a a soft spot for databases. It is a bit bit more than that though, isn't it? Yeah, you, you, you have a you have a thing for creating databases. Well, it's 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 exciting. It, it excites it's, me. It excites you to create databases of things. Um, that's, your, I, that's your that's your thing. That's your thing. I also accompanied the uh, Tibbetts family to um, Driffield. We went to um, WH. Sorry, we went to Woolworths, and uh, Rob bought a copy of Crazy Sexy Cool. That rings a bell. What's that? TLC's album. Right, okay. Um, and that had some rude in, in, interludes on it. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. again, it's not gangster rap, that, is it? Or G-Funk? No, I think what no. you're. I think what you're doing is anything rap-based, you're saying it's gangster rap or G-Funk? G-Funk. So G-Funk, it's a G-Funk era, which is an era in English. So. And, and you... Yeah, and that that lady in Costco, uh, for you to tell her that 
Gangster's Paradise isn't gangster rap, but Warren G is. That's a bit of a stretch as well, isn't it? Mm. Gang- is it? Gangster Am I wrong? Am well, I wrong? you Do see, you got- you've got you've got NWA, very much gangster rap. Yeah. Um, Dre came out of NWA. Yeah. Warren G was the cousin of Dr. Dre. You know, okay, you do so, the math. So you Warren do the math. G is, Warren G is from the street. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. But you can't be any you can't be any punk off the street. No, you can't be no. any geek off the street. You gotta be handy from... handy with the steel, if you know what I mean. Any keep. Yeah, don't just don't just keep parroting the lyrics to regulate back to me. Um nineteen ninety five, eleven. The Simpsons were very much a part of my daily diet. My um mum's friend Jenny would tip the Simpsons off um, Sky One every Sunday night um, she'd, she'd fill up a VHS give me the VHS and mm. uh, to this day I can remember sort of the like the adverts that would follow an episode of the Simpsons on that VHS tip wow um, it was a good time do you remember they showed Wayne's World on BBC Two the, the actual TV show I don't remember that. No, no. The 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 episodes were ten minutes long. Um, so they would have been from Saturday Night Live, wouldn't they? I think it was after Saturday Night Live. They did a a run of TV. They did a TV show with ten minute things. It right. Used to be yeah. On, like, it does it rings a fair bell? Like, yeah. Yeah. It was on at like ten to six on BBC Two on weekdays, or like one weekday a week. It was exciting stuff. Yeah, that is really exciting stuff. Yeah. What year was um, Wayne's World was a bit earlier, wasn't it? Was that ninety two? I feel like I feel like it was around ninety five. Wayne's World, well, Wayne's World two is in my top tier of films. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Uh, just consult. So yeah, Wayne's World was ninety two, and Wayne's World two was ninety three. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You'll, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hell. Yeah. Is that the tagline? Mm-hmm. Great. I did notice an Easter egg on last week's episode. Did you put an Easter egg in there? Yep. And I and I can't quite get I can't quite get the joke in it. Uh, maybe you, quite... maybe I think we're talking about two different Easter eggs then. Right. Okay. Mm, okay. Okay. I'll give you, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a little clue to one of them, but we'll leave it at this. Um, yeah. One of them derived from one of your routines. What top top Joe routines? Yeah, yeah. A shout out. No. Okay. Oh, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that one. Just I got I got an Easter egg, and you know, like that other Easter egg you put in. At the end of one of our, at the end of an episode, a few episodes ago, at the end of an episode, you didn't quite mean to put it in. There was an Easter. Yeah, egg. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did Did you also do one of them in in the last episode, but not uh, at the end of the episode? Oh, uh, maybe I don't know. I haven't listened to just, it. Just like one word, <laughs> overdubbed. There was like an overdub of like one word in there. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much you want me to go into it. 
Um, no, go on. Tell tell me what. When Joe was doing the Chinese pronunciations, uh, the twenty six minute mark, twenty six minutes forty four seconds. Joe says Xiao Chong, and there's an overdub of your voice saying odd. <laughs> Apropos of nothing. Odd. Yeah. I think that's just. I think I've just cut. I think I've just the, cut 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 it wrong or something. I think it's maybe. Yeah. Um. It, it was nostalgic of the previous Easter egg you did at the end of one of our episodes. <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave that one for people leave, to yeah, discover. Leave, leave that one to the, for the discover. Right. To... Okay. 1996. Bloody hell. Euro, two, uh, Euro 96. Um, the Summer of Love. Water Fights. Berlin Wall. <laughs> right, three films. Mm-hmm. Phil, are you ready? Yeah, ready. Film number one, Crash, directed by David Cronenberg. You've never seen it? Never seen it. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, no. Brilliant. After surviving a brutal car wreck, commercial director James Ballard finds himself slowly descending into a fetishistic underworld of scarred, omnisexual car crash victims who find metallic collisions, a sexual turn-on, and a jolting life force they come to crave. 102 Minutes. Uh, 7.3 out of 10 on movie. You with me? Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm liking it so far. Good list so far. Right, you ready for film number two? Ready as I'll ever be. Kids Return, directed by Takeshi Kitano, a.k.a. Beat Takeshi, Japan. Synopsis. Dropping out of high school, two friends at first find success, one as an up-and-coming boxer and one as a low-level gangster, yet their life decisions still find a way of catching up with them. 108 minutes, and that is 7.8 out of 10 on movie. Solid. Okay. So one of them's 102 minutes, one of them's 108. Mm -hmm. Film number three. When we were when we were kings, directed by Leon Gast, United States sports documentary, a documentary covering the nineteen seventy four heavyweight championship bout in Zaire, Zaire, how do you, how do you Zaire. say that? Zaire, between champion George Foreman and Muhammad Ali, eight out of ten on movie, um, eighty nine minutes. That's a quickie. Um, I've I've seen. Seen when we were kings, had it on VHS. Okay. okay. What would you choose between Crash and Kids Return? Uh, I like the sound of them both. I mean, Crash is. Uh, I've never delved into a Cronenberg to any degree whatsoever. I don't know if I've ever seen any Cronenberg films. Um, and it's obviously a film that's oft referenced. Oft. Um, Kids Return. The Japanese, I've got here the Japanese um, 
Raging Bull. Right. Um, so, fan of J- Japan, fan of Raging Bull. Have you ever seen any films directed by Beat Takeshi? No. Not that I'm aware of. Have you? Yeah, I I, I, I love him. Oh, I yeah. love I love the guy. He's my guy. He's my guy. Okay, and is this thought of as one of his better films? Yeah, it is actually. I've never heard of it, but it's meant to be really good. And where is this in his career? Um, at the what's it called in your career when you're in that flow state and everything like you're churning out all the hits. I don't know. Uh, pink period. He's in his pink period. Um, yes, yeah, so- like in the nineties, Beat Takeshi, his films were just like he's he's an acquired taste. He's idiosyncratic. I'm not sure if you'll like him. What's his most my- well known film? Is is uh, hard to his say. Hits. Hard to say. He made a samurai film called Zatoichi, which was probably his biggest international hit, but which is really different to his other films. Which his other films are usually just yakuza police films uh, with an art house twist um, I, I I couldn't tell you his most famous one he's got a film called Hanabai translates as fireworks he's got a film called Boiling Point a film called Brother set in America he's got a trilogy of films called Outrage um, imagine Japanese people shouting at each other in quite a formalised way that's kind of with an art house pacing and an interesting use of mise-en-scene. I'm just spouting loads of rubbish now, but yeah. I like him. Okay, well, um, as a sort of palate cleanser, I'd, I'd quite like to go for that one, um, but I'm happy with either. Uh, you've chosen correctly. I, I was going to choose Kids Return. Brilliant. That's good, yeah. Because... I've seen uh, a, a bit of Cronenberg. Mm. I like him. I like the guy mm-hmm. a lot, a lot. In fact, like Videodrome, saw that as a teenager and I loved it. But I read um, about ten pages from the book Crash at my friend Will Dickey's house, who you know. JG Ballard. So is that is that JG Ballard? Yeah, and I've I had to put it down. It was so like intense. It was right. like I've never read a book that was so visceral and so mm-hmm. like graphic. Um, so I kind of put it down. I was like, "Wow!" That I was like, I couldn't even imagine how you'd read like two hundred pages of that when every page was just dense with like information and images. So and yeah, and I, I can't I can't imagine it's not a comfortable a film to watch. Crash, although it might be quite intriguing. And yeah. interesting. I, I can't and imagine arousing. That. Yeah, I think it would be not arousing. arousing. It would just be a bit icky. Too much. Yeah. And I kind of shy away from body horror these days. Like, uh, right. Did you watch like, that Titan? Titan? Yeah, I did. Did you watch that? Yeah, I didn't really like it, to be honest. I didn't like it. I thought it was Emperor's New Clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's stuff I've seen before just presented in a really flashy way um, so I, yeah I thought it was kind of like overhyped 
festival bait. Careerist bullsh. Yeah. I haven't sworn this episode. Yeah, I have though, haven't I? So after you, you, you're going to have to beat them. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Kids return. Uh, easy, easily accessible on the internet. Yeah. Available on the internet. Yeah. Okay. On it, on <laughs> available on movie. Oh, mega. Perfect. I mean, I might. It might be an uncomfortable experience for me if you don't like this because uh, I've hyped it up. I, mm. I like the guy. He's my guy. You've Kevin Gatensd it. Of Kevin Gates it, if you don't like it, I'll just be trying to get you to watch his other films to hope in the hope that you might like one of his other films. Do you know who he is? No. No. I know, seen... I know I know I know uh Takeshi's Castle. Yeah, so you know who he is. Oh right, is it that guy? The host of Takeshi's Castle, yeah. And he did he was a... uh Robot Wars as well, Red Dwarf. That was uh I think that was Craig Charles. Have you heard of Craig Charles? He's from Liverpool. Yeah. He he narrates uh, it, doesn't he? He narrates the English version of Takeshi's Castle. Right. Beat Beat Takeshi Kitano is the original host, and he was a famous comedian in Japan. Um, and then he was part of a double act, like the Little and Large of Japan. Uh-oh. Um, but then he went his separate ways and Good. struck out on his own in comedy, continued comedy, and then all of a sudden, he does an about turn, and he becomes a serious film director, and not taken that seriously at first, and then, after a few films, people are like, actually, this guy is, is brilliant, and wow. uh, he's, he's, so like he's if, very well very well thought of. If if Paul Chuckle started, um, started making films. Yeah, Definitely. Okay, do you have a um, closing quote for us? I wrote something down. There's been quite a few, but you said something along the lines of romance has no cause to something litter. Um, I can't remember what Excuse. I said. Ro- Excuse. Is it romance has... Yeah, can you say romance that? Has, romance has no cause to excuse litter. Can you say it again with a bit yeah, more yeah. feeling? Romance has no cause to excuse litter. I'm struggling to get the intonation right. Romance has no cause. Romance. Romance has no cause to excuse litter. Romance has no cause to excuse litter. Romance. Great stuff. Romance has no cause to excuse litter. Oh, yeah. Question. Good. Thanks very what much. Was to, question for today. What was the question for today? We're going to run out of time, aren't we? Quick. <laughs>